Hello, everybody, and welcome to What's the Problem, the podcast that explores problems, issues, considerations, really any hot button topic uh, in the world of cybersecurity that are going on today. And on today's episode, we are fortunate enough to have Derek Arethage joining us. Derek, would you say hello to the listeners? How's it going, everyone? Pleasure to be here, Mike. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you here, sir. And Derek, you know the first question, we get into it right away. Why are you qualified to talk about security? You know, I actually think it's super great that you use the word qualified because I am actually very new to cybersecurity, but even being new and having just got here, I feel like because of the journey that I had to go on to get here, it really does just make me feel like I'm qualified just getting my foot in the door. You know, I uh, just was hired as a SOC analyst about half a year ago, and I'm absolutely loving it. But, you know, it was definitely way harder than I thought it was going to be to to get to where I am now. Well, I think that you're teasing the second question with our listeners. You know, the second question is always, let's talk and explore. Uh, let's talk about and explore through a problem in the world of security. And it, it sounds like you were teeing yourself up to talk about a problem of getting into the world of cybersecurity is it's really freaking difficult to get in. Am I right there or, or where are you going with this? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I <laughs> did a little foreshadowing there. But yeah, it um, it definitely was a difficult journey trying to get in that I'm sure a lot of other people can relate to, which is definitely why I wanted to speak a little bit about my experience and some of the things that I thought create this huge barrier to breaking into the industry. So I, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm some huge, you know, IT expert that's been in the field for years and you know, done all these things, touched all these technologies and stuff. But, um, you know, I have definitely some experience under my belt that I was hoping would take me to cybersecurity and inevitably did, but it wasn't as seamless as I thought it was going to be. So I went to school for IT. I went to college for IT, which, you know, it uh, didn't start out as IT, but that's quickly where I found myself leaning towards because, you know, I enjoyed it, didn't mind it. It was pretty cool. And I figured it was something I could get behind. So I have my bachelor's in IT. I started as a IT support technician for a hospital. And then after staying there for three years, I finally got Security Plus, and was then months and months and months later, finally able to get an interview with a cybersecurity startup that I'm at now as a SOC analyst. And do you think the Security Plus certification helped kind of nudge your resume to the top of their pile? Or do you have any insight on that? (laughs) Yeah, I thought it would. You know, I had this this uh, layout of my trifecta of things. You know, I had my bachelor's, I had the IT experience, and then the cake or the cherry on top rather was going to be security plus, you know, because I just, you know, I scour the internet and you try to figure out what certification to get because there are millions, it feels like. (laughs) And, you know, typically everyone says, you know, you start with security plus and that usually should help a lot. But you know, nowadays, um, you look at all of the applications and they want, you know, every application or sorry, every certification under the sun. So it actually really didn't help almost anything at all 
other than my own practical knowledge from the knowledge I gained from actually taking the certification was very, very useful. But as far as, you know, bulking up my resume, no, I, I barely got any responses whatsoever, whether it was before or after getting the certification. That's, that's interesting that you mentioned that we had Bob Zinga uh, on the show a couple months ago, and he mentioned the same thing uh, about certifications. Um, he was saying security plus, is one that it definitely gets his attention. Yet, as somebody who's been in the world of cybersecurity uh, for a couple decades, both in the public and private sector, uh, as well as in the military, when he was in the U.S. Navy, Bob was saying, "He's like, if it's, I just have a hard time really putting a lot of weight into this. It's nice to see, um, but he didn't give the, the detail that you did of you actually learned something going through that. So, sure, it wasn't a resume booster, but." you know, academically, it actually helped develop your own security mindset. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I definitely liked learning all the material, especially my job at the time. While I was a uh, IT support, a lot of it was actually what I was doing. So it was super interesting to find out a lot of the back end things and, you know, look at it from much broader perspective, uh, all the aspects of security, you know, because, IT security now is basically anything at all in regards to security because it's all intertwined. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was actually one of the most uh, shocking things is, you know, it's, uh, there's just so many certifications out there. You know, that was uh, one of the many topics that I definitely was hoping we would touch on is that there's so many certifications that you don't even know what to get, you know, like for, uh, for my job right now, right? For a SOC analyst, there are so many applications out there uh, job postings that will have, you know, uh, CISSP on them, you know, to, to be a SOC analyst and that kind of stuff, you know, having the knowledge I have now, I feel like, you know, a lot of those certifications are super overkill for what's actually necessary for some of these positions that are within the cyberspace. And I, I just think there's a lot of, disconnect for sure between, you know, what's actually required for the job and, you know, HR, for example, not knowing, you know, like the actual skills and things necessary for the job itself. So you talk about, you know, some, there being a little bit of disconnect in the certifications and job requirements. Where else do you see disconnects in, in that journey of getting into the world as being a security analyst? So there's uh, there was uh, four things that I have in mind that definitely stood out to me on, you know, trying to break into the field that seemed like a big issue. And the first one I would say is the volume of people that are trying to break into the field. You know, what's what's the first thing really? you look for? Yeah. When, when you try to look for a job, right, the first thing you're going to do is, OK, well, what's going to make me money? Right. So I can live comfortably. And. <laughs> You know, right, right. Uh, yeah, exactly. So cybersecurity is one of those things. And cybersecurity is even uh, double downs on that and says, oh, you know, there's all these jobs in cybersecurity that are open right now, right? It's huge. It's growing. It's the biggest thing. So, you know, you try to figure out, okay, well, what's the next step? How do I get into cybersecurity? And then, you know, you do all your research online and there's a bunch of people saying, oh, just do this, just do that. You don't need experience to, you know, do this particular role or something like that. And, you know, I think uh, all you need to do, right, is take a few minutes to go on LinkedIn 
and search for SOC analyst positions, right? That's uh, usually, I find that that's where a lot of people tend to start their cybersecurity career is as a SOC analyst, which is, you know, the same thing that I was thinking as well. And it, there's just hundreds, hundreds of applicants per job. And if it's remote, forget it. It's it's ridiculous how many people applied these positions. It's just so flooded by the amount of people that are actually applying to it, which uh, I think makes it even harder for the people who do have some experience, like similar to my situation, but it kind of just gets lost in the you know giant pool of other applicants who don't fit every single criteria that's on the job description now because there's just too many people they're looking for you know anything they can to just whittle down the amount of applications that they have to sift through right yeah i i even though mkg marketing is not hiring any SOC analysts and we probably never will because we're a marketing agency <laughs> uh, i i know what you just described has been the past week for us we actually opened you know, an early stage role within the company uh, somebody with a couple years of experience probably uh, would be great in this role. And uh, we actually, between the Friday before uh, 4th of July and today, which has been about six days, we had 345 applicants. And it took us an entire day to get it down to 60. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I, that's not me being um, upset that people are interested in working here. I, I love the, the interest in this role that we've opened here at the agency, but it, it is a really tough thing to look at. You know, if, if we had to do that, you know, first, the full day analysis of all the app applicants just to get into a sub 100 range of applicants for every single job position, it, it would be very difficult for us to hire anybody, to be frank. Yeah, I, that that's exactly. I couldn't be happier that that you have this amount of applicants. <laughs> you know, like it's it's uh, exactly what I was talking about. It's it's crazy the amount of people that are trying to break in and they're applying to all these jobs, and it's just making it so much harder to actually find you know the people that uh, you want to have on your team. You know, it makes it super super difficult. And then right, um, right. you that, mentioned four things, so that's one. What's what's number yeah, two? Yeah. Number two was the need for already experienced employees. They, it seems like there is such a need, right? And as you mentioned before, the some of your other uh, podcasts already interviews mentioned that there is, you know, a skill gap, and it's hard to, you know, find qualified people or people that are, you know, ready to hit the ground running the second they start the job. But, you know, it's uh, it's just really difficult to actually get, you know, the experience beforehand. So that was one actually the things that I tried to do in my quest to get into cybersecurity was try to get experience, you know, on my own. And thank God there's, you know, a lot of people out there, pioneers, I would say, that are trying to make, you know, so much of this information free and accessible and public so that you can learn on your own to try to get, you know, your feet wet and get some practice and, you know, know a little bit more about what you're talking about and just give you, you know, an edge over other applicants who may not have, you know, as much experience, but, you know, even I've seen like uh, schooling, for example, is 
you know, almost disregarded sometimes, you know, they don't even care whether you have a bachelor's or a master's and boot camps seem to be a hit or a miss, you know, some of them are good. Some of them are not from what I've noticed and, you know, nobody wants to take the time to teach. Uh, so that was a, a really big issue for me as well. And there's a, there's a fun thing that I wanted to bring up to you. I definitely want to know your thoughts on this. So nurses, for example, right? I definitely know a handful of nurses and it seems like, you know, they go through nursing school, right? They, the treacherous blood, sweat, and tears, you know, studying for hours on Literally, end. And yeah. 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 It's, it's really tough. It's really hard. You know, it takes them, you know, four or five years, maybe, you know, some people even do accelerated. They do it even faster than that. And then, you know, they apply to whatever hospitals they can. And usually, especially nowadays, because of, you know, COVID and whatnot, they get opportunities at most of the hospitals that they apply to, maybe not for the exact, you know, department that they want to be in, but, you know, for maybe um, a different department that is in more need of registered nurses. So then, you know, they hire them straight out of school for, you know, med surge or the emergency department or something. They go through orientation, you know, for about three months of training and shadowing. And then that's that. Now they're officially working registered nurses taking care of your loved ones. But in cybersecurity, doesn't seem to be the same case. Mm. Well, you brought up a great example because I do know quite a few people who are registered nurses and have gone through you know, residency and placement and school. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's, I was talking with somebody about nursing the other day and I made a comment and, and it, I want to be clear with our listeners, this was kind of a flippant joking comment. Um, I was not being serious. I very much respect nursing and the medical profession. Now that the caveats out of the way, <laughs> I, I mentioned, I was like, it's a surprise that people go to hospitals and they don't die more often. Like, you know, you're talking, you're talking about, you know, my friend who's, you know, a gastroenterologist because uh, mm -hmm. everyone's a specialist now that no one's really just a doctor. Like everyone specializes. In yeah. Something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and he works 24 hour shifts. And I mean, he goes oh. noon to noon, noon oh. to noon, three to three, seven to seven. And Lord. I'm sure he's in gastro. So it's not like he's in, you know, ER or trauma or emergency mm -hmm. medicine, but sometimes he does rotate over there just based on scheduling and, I made that comment. I was like, it's really, it's a surprise that more people don't get killed um, by medical professionals. And the thing that they said back to me was, yeah, but think of all the checks and balances, right? The registered oh. nurse does his or her rounds, right? Talking about redundancy now, which mm -hmm. is now we're obviously in the world of you know security and engineering, like mm -hmm. obviously redundancy is a key topic. Well, they don't kill people because the RNs shift uh, shifts are 12 hours, right? So they're not on 24s, mm -hmm. they're on 12s. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also support folks who aren't registered nurses yet. And then you've got the internists, right? Who are, you know, those are the folks who get, uh, you know, they finish med school and they get assigned somewhere for a couple of years and they start working through departments. And then you've got the doctors, uh, you know, like my friend who is working those 24 hour shifts. And then you have people who manage the doctors like my friends. Who are working the 24 hour shifts as well. And so like mm -hmm. when you think about the layers of redundancy there, they're all there kind of doing different things. Um, but there is redundancy there and that it's a system that's in place that supports the entire patient experience. And what you just described of 
uh, you know, in your first two points of a lot of applicants in the process, number one, hard, hard to kind of cull through all those, especially if it's a remote. And number two, you know, it's hard to get experience if you can't get on. This is like, it's like oil and water, right? It, it's mm-hmm. polar opposites when you're describing the field of nursing or getting into medicine versus getting into uh, the world of security, which makes me now very interested. What's number three? What's the number three <laughs> thing you're thinking about here? Uh, well, we, we kind of touched on three and four were just the amount of certifications that are out there. You know, it makes, um, it makes it really difficult to figure out, you know, which certifications trump others, right? Which ones you need for your specific role and, you know, which ones overlap, which ones, you know, are just the best that you need to get at this time to get this position. And the fact that, you know, you'll never ever stop getting certifications all the time just to be able to go from one place to the other. And it leaks into basically the fourth point, which was the the disconnect with HR. You know, you get all these certifications that are listed on all of these job descriptions that you know, half of them, I feel like aren't even related to the job that you actually want, but they just plug all of them in anyway, you know, and they're like, oh, you need at least one or two of all of these certs, you know, for example, like I've seen stock analyst positions that have CISSP on them. And, you know, it's, it's definitely a bit overkill for a job like that, I think. And I think uh, it really, again, goes back to the amount of applicants, you know, they're just trying to put barriers in your way in order to dwindle down the amount of applications they have to go through because the volume is mm. just way too much. Now, I feel like, well, you know, even the people, sorry to cut you off, just one more thing, the the people that uh, even are working these jobs probably don't even have half of the co- uh, requirements that are in the job descriptions. It's funny you mentioned that. I had spoken to another guest uh, on the podcast, and he was talking about the requirements for new hires and how drastically different they are for, this is my language, uh, for folks who have been there and who are kind of grandfathered or grandmothered in, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you want to be a SOC, I'm just making it up. If you want to be a SOC analyst at Citigroup, right, up, up in New York City, mm-hmm. um, you know, big financial services uh, uh, firm, institutional bank. If you've been at City, you're good. You don't need to worry about this whole CISSP thing or you want these new up-to-date Amazon certifications. Like you don't have that problem uh, is what this, this uh, guest was telling me. But if you're new to the company, if you're coming from the outside or if this is your first role with the company, well, they seem to care a lot about that. So it seems to be, I'll, I'll throw something out here as we kind of round out this part of the conversation. It seems to be like, there is no continuing education that is mandated, right? I think if you're an attorney, you are required to do X amount of CE hours every single year. Um, it's mm-hmm. non-negotiable. There's entire businesses in this country built up on just cranking educational content to practicing lawyers. You're required to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't have that with the world of you know, security analyst or security engineer. But kind of once you're in, you're in. And that's just the way that the rules are written now. I'm not sure if you agree with that, disagree with that, would love your opinion. Yeah, I mean, uh, knowledge is definitely power. So I can see how 
that would be a standard. And I feel like, I feel like it definitely makes some sense. You know, the it's, it goes back to training your employees, essentially, you know, they're, they're giving them, you know, the tools that they need to, you know, hopefully do the job better. And I feel like, although, you know, it being mandatory or not, or it being necessary, you know, who knows if it's right or wrong, but I definitely think that, you know, there should be something at least similar to that in cybersecurity would help worlds. But I think the idea is it's just too new. There's too much. It's too broad. I don't know if we would ever actually be able to have some sort of standard of, you know, material that everyone was absolutely had to do, you know, in order right. to keep up the stuff. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. I, uh, my last comment there before we go to our final question is the being a security analyst is new, right? I, I just gave an example where I'm talking about practicing law. Okay, people have been practicing law for thousands of years. That's a, that's not even a fair comparison that I made, but I made it and no one can stop us, so we just did. But <laughs> as security becomes something that is more, more top of mind, uh, similar to lawyers or attorneys um, or barristers, as they call them uh, in Australia, which is an exciting word. Um, I can see that world where, you know, hundreds of years down the line, like the concept of CE comes into the world of security. Um, and, you know, who determines what you have to learn? Who knows? Um, you know, in, in the legal world, it's like, you just have to take X hours. Like you, you could be taking whale law in Antarctica and they really don't care. They just want to see hours. Um, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see if, if as the, the field matures, just like, you know, the legal profession did thousands of years ago, uh, if, if that becomes a thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely can, uh, can agree with that. I think, um, I think it definitely has to find some solution. The only the only thing I could think of right now or my my parting words on the topic would basically just be, you know, to be more lenient with the people that are applying, you know, just the uh, the passion that people have for the subject, I feel like is the most important factor to it. You know, it's uh, it's IT, especially it's in cybersecurity, you know, it's constantly changing. There's new attacks left and right. You got to stay on top of your stuff. And if you're not interested in it, if you could care less about it and you're just in it, you know, for the money or something, it's just not for you. And I feel like even though, you know, you may not have years of experience or been able to actually do cybersecurity before, if you do the research, you know, you practice, you do what you can, especially to you get your foot in the door and, you know, some sort of support role or help desk or something like that it makes worlds of a difference just to get yourself in the environment and if you could prove that you know this is something you want to do and where you want to be then i think that should be you know at least rewarded with a chance in an interview somewhere someplace that'll get your foot in the door and get you into the field i love it i love it well i know i usually keep better track of time here but this conversation just you know, went into these really rich and interesting areas. So um, to the listeners who are nipping at my proverbial heels, uh, I hope that you really enjoyed us having a little bit of a longer episode than normal. And we promised to make it up here on the back end. So Derek, tell us briefly about a terrible haircut you've had at some point in your life. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Actually, uh, a couple a couple of years ago, my barber had, you know, he was telling me about all these 
problems he was having. He was out for like a few days when I needed a haircut. So I waited for him to get back. And I think he felt bad, but he was, you know, dealing with some issues he had with his, you know, house upstate that he was renting out. He had to like evict people from, you know, whatever this place. And he was cleaning it out. Apparently it was a pigsty. He spent all weekend, you know, doing it, barely slept. Right. So I come in to the shop and he tells me all of this and he's like yeah you know i've only got like three four hours of sleep the past two days but you know it's fine don't worry about it i could see it in his eyes mike he was so tired and i was so nervous i was shaking in my boots in that chair and he oh god bless his soul he made so many mistakes <laughs> just in my hair and my beard all around and i was so nervous i wore so many hats after that there were just i ended up actually having to come home that day and completely try to redo my beard into some weird like thin chin strap or something because it was i was just trying to preserve like what was left of it after all like the nicks and it was <laughs> patchy and oh god it was a mess <laughs> oh man that is awesome uh, not for you so much, but more for the story for the <laughs> listeners. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully it doesn't happen again anytime soon, but. Definitely, definitely. Well, and as we wrap up here, it's a very common thing. A listener's write in, they say, hey, you know, I heard that episode with Derek or XYZ person was on the show. Really enjoyed their perspective. Would love talking about security. So, you know, Derek, if somebody writes in, what, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm, uh, I try to be on it as much as I can. That's the easiest way to to find me. You should be able to just search my name. I'm sure it's probably going to be in the name of this podcast. So that should be the easiest way. Perfect. And to the listeners, yes, we will include Derek's LinkedIn profile uh, so that you can reach out to him directly if you have any questions or just want to kick around some security discussions. Mm-hmm, for sure. And, yeah. And to the listeners, uh, thank you for tuning into What's the Problem? The show that explores problems issues, considerations, really anything that's a hot button topic, uh, or maybe a cold button topic. We talk about all topics here in the world of cybersecurity. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.